0: A couple of, uh, uh, observations, announcements. Um, one observation is, is that historically, the July 4th weekend is the lowest attendance weekend of the church nationwide. Therefore, first time in eight years I decided to wear jeans. So there's, uh, you can, if you, if we could all collectively keep it from the, from Dean, is that, we in on that? And then uh, also, for those of you that care about message titles, I submitted my message title on Tuesday, I think it was this week, and um was trying to get more diligent in getting things into Joanne. But as I dug into the, into the text, it just, I just, I couldn't make it work. You know what I'm talking about? And it's one of the cool things about the way we approach God's Word here at this, at this church. And that is, is that uh, we want to stand behind the Word, not in front of the Word. And so the, the title of today's message is Walking with God. And I think you'll you'll see why. And as I have dug into this this week, I was frustrated at times trying to pull out an application. His uh, pastor, Chris, prayed that, and my prayer is, is that all of us would be not just accumulating information, but we would be that we would be about transformation. And that on Monday morning, that whoever's teaching and whatever's being taught, that there would be something that comes out of that that would cause us to love Jesus more. And to be sold out for Jesus. So God's word is meant to be transformational. And so as we, uh, as we walk into this, my prayer is that uh, the Lord would just use it in, my, in your lives as he's used it in my life this week. You know, as uh, I told you a little bit about my recent story last week, and I want to uh, tell you a little bit more about my journey as it fits into this passage. When I was 15 years old, I put my faith and trust in Jesus. I uh, was at a Young Life camp in Canada. Yep, outside of Vancouver And I put my faith and trust in Jesus And I couldn't get enough of God at that time I couldn't get enough time in a prayer I couldn't get enough time in His Word I couldn't get enough time with believers And I wanted to tell everybody I could About this newfound faith that I had Particularly growing up in the church I grew up in a church that was very legalistic One that, that bred a lot of fear But I didn't know that, that Christ loved me And that He wanted a relationship with me then about age 17, as I was getting ready to head off to college, the University of Northern Colorado, I took an aptitude test. Anybody ever taken an aptitude test before? I took an aptitude test going into college to try to discern or try to understand what classes I should take, what I should do with my life. And I can kind of, as I, it's fresh in my mind because Mitchell at age 21 and Joey at age 17 are kind of in that same mode, thinking what do they do with their lives. So I took this aptitude test, and it really came out that I had that I should do three things. One of them was a social worker. What? The other was a teacher and a coach. And the other was clergy, pastor. So getting into college, I went to UNC for several reasons, really three reasons. One, it's the only college I could get into. Two, it had six girls for every one boy. And three, it was one of the best education schools west of the Mississippi. And I went to study to be a a teacher, a PE teacher. And about halfway through my third year in college, which was my freshman year, <laughs> I changed my major. I changed my major. I changed it to business. And the reason I changed it to business is that through influence, really family influence, and lack of security of who I was, I really wanted to make a lot of money. And so I changed it to business. I didn't want to live a life of poverty. I remember clearly thinking that. So I changed my major to business without consulting God and I was a Christian at the time after I graduated on June 7th and got married on June 8th same year I got into business and I started seeking my fame and fortune I very quickly was on on a path to accumulate wealth we had the fancy vacations we had a large home we had the new cars we had the we had the stuff we hung out with professional athletes we were at all the parties in Denver And I found myself slipping away from this faith that I had had at age 15. And I remember thinking, consciously thinking, that, God, thank you for saving me. But if if you can just wait there, I'll be back. I'll be back. I sought after my own fame and fortune. And after about 12 years into marriage and 12 years into chasing wealth my marriage started falling apart and at that time God in his mercy came after me like a shepherd comes after lost sheep and the way he came after me was through other people it was in about a one year span of time that I got invited to promise keepers I got invited to a conference called dad the family shepherd a dear man Stan Harwood was one of my clients invited us to church Foothills Bible Church in Denver we have this group of guys and gals we knew from college It was part of the CGC club the cool guys club they had a bible study and they invited us to the bible study and so god started pursuing me and he brought me back you know and to this day i'm still not hundred percent sure if i was saved at age fifteen but it doesn't really matter it makes for a good testimony It doesn't really matter because i know where i'm at today i know my foundation is i've looked at my life it's very similar to the israelites in in judges where when things were going great, I would just, I would just kind of ask God just to stay over there. And then when things started cracking, I would call out to the Lord. And I've had that cycle at different degrees throughout my life. I've lived a life of self-protection, fear, greed. And this isn't meant to be a downer. I mean, this is, this is just, this is the journey that the Lord allowed me to be on. That I and my sin would run from him and he would just keep chasing me. Now I'm wondering if any of you can relate with that story at certain degrees. Even in short periods of time. Maybe you don't have the extremes of chasing after the world like I did. Maybe you have a tendency to care more about pleasing a customer than you do about pleasing God. Maybe you have more of a tendency to please your spouse or your kids more than pleasing God. Are you just going through the motions? Do you believe this Christianity thing? Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus? But you don't know what it really looks like to walk with Him in an intimate way. I think there's a lot of Christians, and I think, I dare say, a lot of pretenders in this world today that have professed Christ, they've asked Jesus into their heart. And do you realize that there's nowhere in God's Word that says ask Jesus into your heart and that's what we're asking our kids to do what God says in his word is to acknowledge that you're a sinner understand that God came down in the form of Jesus went to the cross took all of your sin and my sin to the cross imputed his righteousness clothed this with his righteousness and he became our sin that's the gospel do you have a hard time hearing from the Lord in the midst of the noise of life Maybe you're just you're firmly implanted that you're des- in desiring to live for Jesus, but you can't hear from God. When it comes to finding work, when it comes to maybe selling your house, buying a house, when it comes to raising your children, making big decisions, are you having a hard time hearing from God? You know, some of us live our lives like the old TV dinner. Some of you are old enough to remember the TV dinners. Do they still sell TV dinners? They still do? Wow. Are they as bad as they were then? Squishy peas? Yeah. Salisbury steak? Fake potatoes? The TV dinners had different compartments. They had the peas and the mashed potatoes and the Salisbury dog and the bread, whatever that was in there. And many of us live our Christian lives like that. We've got church in one compartment. We've got family in another compartment. We've got work in another compartment. You know what I'm talking about? is that we're, we're worshiping God on Sunday morning. We might even spend a day or two in token devotion. But as far as being sold out and that He is every bit a part of our life, it's not happening. Maybe you can't resonate with any of these. In fact, some of you can state the gospel clearly, more clearly than I can. Some of you can smell bad doctrine a mile away. But our hearts are as cold as ice. You see, there's not a one-to-one correlation to knowledge and walking with the Lord. Knowledge is not bad. Knowledge is a good thing. The Lord gave us a brain to understand things. But God's Word talks a lot about puffing up. Knowledge puffs up. And that's why I'm so passionate lately about seeing transformation in my own life and seeing transformation in the lives of all of you. Because if we're just filling our heads up with knowledge and, and, and we're not being spurred on to love Jesus 24-7 and that every decision, every aspect of our life is governed by God's Word and governed by the Holy Spirit, we don't know God. We know about God. Do any of these describe you? You know, the uh, the passage today has, has an answer for us. And if you turn to uh, Genesis 6, verses 9 through 10, we'll take a look. Last week, we were in chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. And cool passages, there's a couple parts of it that were hard to understand. In fact, there's a couple parts of it that I'm not even quite sure. I wouldn't take a bullet for it. And that's who the Nephilim were and, and who the sons of God were. But the point of that passage is that the thoughts and every intention of man is, is continually wicked. The depravity of man. That the hearts and minds of man is wicked. That God is a holy God. That, like Popeye, he can only stand sin so much that he can't stand it no more. And he's a holy God, and, he is, and, he's gonna, and the hammer's going to come down because he can't tolerate it forever. And he said in one of the verses, I believe it was verse 4, maybe verse 3, he said that I'm going to remove my spirit from the earth. And basically he gave him 120 years to turn it around. And he said, i was sorry I made man. And it grieved him to the heart. Now God didn't make a mistake. He's not sorry that he created man because it surprised him. He is sorry because of man's cold, dark heart. And he's sorry because of what he's about to do. And that's to blot man off the face of the earth. But we also know, and it's important to remember, that God is loving. He's gracious. He's long-suffering. He's strong to save. He is a strong tower. And he doesn't desire for anyone to perish. And then fast forward to verse 8. What did that? What did the verse say? It said that, And Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. That is the cool verse and what that means is, is that, that God didn't look down and see Noah that he, he's got his act together you know that he's, he's doing a good job loving his wife he's doing a good job raising his kids he's a good worker at, in the in the office all those things are important but what he saw is his own righteousness in Noah he, had, he saw that Noah had put his faith and trust in the coming Messiah and he found favor in him because of that Does that make sense? That could be a very confusing verse that God found favor in him because he was already his, not because of his actions. Now, let's take a look at verse 9. And we're just going to kind of take this piece by piece. It says, these are the generations of Noah. These are the generations of Noah. That's kind of strange. What a place to put these are the generations of Noah. Well, if you remember in chapter 5, Pastor Dean taught on that. And that was all about the generations of Adam, wasn't it? The ten generations of Adam. And now, those generations are either gone or they're going to be gone in about 120 years. And there's a new generation, or there's there's only one of those generations that's going to continue, and that's the generation of Noah, where the seed or the offspring of the woman is going to come and bring forth the one that is going to crush the serpent's head. So now, we start looking at the generations of Noah, and then we're going to have the generations of Abraham coming later. And it says, Noah was a righteous man. Well, I really struggled with this. And as I looked at the different commentaries and tried to understand this, there's different takes on it. But to me, in my study it was just it was obvious that Noah was righteous, not in himself. He wasn't perfect. In fact, he had the same sin nature that you and I have. And no one can be righteous when we sin, because righteousness means perfect. We are guilty sinners in need of perfect righteousness. I can't pronounce it, but there's a Hebrew word, and it means totally righteous. 100% righteous. And Noah received... And let me just say something real quick. I went over this with Nancy this morning. I found myself every once in a while substituting Moses for Noah. So if I say Moses, just nod your head like you know what I'm talking about. Okay, have I said it yet? Not yet, okay. So we're all right. So it means totally righteous. It cannot refer to an occasional righteousness. This was the place that Nancy and I needed to spend the most time, and maybe we do this morning as well, because it's a concept that I think that a lot of Christians don't understand. And that is, is that that our works are like filthy rags. None of us are worthy of Christ's righteousness. But when we put our faith and trust in Him, he covered us. We became His righteousness, and He became our sin. It was an exchange that happened. So Noah, we saw in verse 8, that he was—he had already received God's grace. Okay? And now we see that he is righteous. He has Christ's righteousness. He is perfect. He is positionally perfect with the Lord. Because God placed all of Noah's sins on the first woman's seed. Catch this. We are all saved by grace through faith as we look back at the cross did you realize that every one in the old testament that is now in heaven is saved by grace through faith that they look forward to the cross no exception for noah he put his faith in trust in the coming seed that is going to crush the serpent's head is that amazing we see so much works and so much sacrifice in the old testament Those people weren't saved by those works and those sacrifices. They were saved the same way you and I were. Noah was blameless in his generation. This means standing in integrity in his world amongst his contemporaries. Noah was blameless amongst his contemporaries. It could also mean that he was blameless before God because he was innocent. He was declared just because of his faith in Christ. But I believe the heart of this verse is that Noah as we're going to see as we go forward, had a good reputation amongst non-believers of his time. Noah walked with God. This is the heart of the passage. Noah was able to walk with God because of Christ's righteousness. He didn't become righteous because he walked with God. So much of Christendom has it wrong. Has it The, the religion that I grew up in has it backwards. Okay, He walked with God because he was righteous, because he was clothed in Christ's righteousness. He didn't first walk with God, and then God said, there's an obedient guy. Poof, There's my righteousness. We're not saved by works. We're saved by grace through faith. Noah's entire life was characterized by the presence and nearness of God. Intimacy with God, if you will. Intimacy with God is one of our core values, one of, I would say, our top two core values. That's encountering God in his word and intimacy with God. You know, I've been told over the last couple of years by a couple of men that intimacy with God kind of bothers them. It kind of makes them, gives them the heebie-jeebies because guys don't, a lot of us guys don't know what it means to be intimate. I'd say two things about that. One is, is get over it. (laughs) Two is, is use fellowship. God has called us into an intimate, personal relationship with himself. Because of this intimacy or fellowship that he had with the Lord, he was able to really know and trust God. Not just know about Him, but know Him. Because of this intimacy that Noah had with the Lord, he was able to really know God. Therefore, trust Him. By walking closely with God, Noah learned to listen to God. He was able to recognize His voice. And he was able to do this... Because he walked with God. Every once in a while I'll hear, and and I'm I'm here, I'm in this place myself a lot too, but I'll hear a Christian say, you know what, I just can't hear from God. I just can't hear from God. And my response oftentimes is, is, how's your intimacy with the Lord? How's your time in the Word? How's your prayer life? Are you walking with God? Or are you just calling on Him as a genie when you need things? If you're not hearing from the Lord, it's probably because you're not walking with God. After hearing God's voice and clear commands, Noah did what? He obeyed. And we see that in 6.22 and we see that in chapter 7, verse 5. We're not going to be able to obey unless we hear God's voice. And we've got, a, we've got an advantage over Noah. We've got this thing called the Bible. And as far as I can tell, there was no written word at the time Noah was walking the earth. So he had to really listen. He had to really listen. And I don't know if God spoke to him in an audible voice or if it was just a conscience thing, but we know that God clearly spoke to him and that Noah heard him. Noah obeyed because Noah believed the Lord. He loved the Lord and he desired nothing more than to please the Lord. Doesn't our obedience come out of love, loving the Lord? After walking with God, Noah was so convinced that he was doing the right thing and that the Lord would protect him that nothing got him off track. Nothing got him off track. Can you imagine that he's building this boat, this 450-foot-long boat, 45 feet high? 450 feet is is one and a half times a football field. He's building it in the desert where it's probably never rained and that he stayed steadfast on that for a hundred plus years. Preaching repentance, God's word says in Second Peter. What are the areas in, in, in your life where God has asked you to, to do? He's told you obey me and do this. Walk here, take this job, quit this job, and you're fearful. Can you imagine the, the fear that Noah had? It's the same God talking to him that talks to us today. He loved the Lord and his perishing neighbors so much that he preached to them to repent from their evil ways. It blows my mind. Not only did he build this ark in the desert where it never rained probably, but as he was hammering and building this ark, I mean, I don't know where he got the blueprint from, he's re- He's preaching. He's preaching. He's telling these people to turn from their sin. And these people have got to be just scoffing at him. So what do you do? A boat in the desert. Noah's life was driven by love and obedience to the Lord. And that love and obedience came from him walking with the Lord. If we don't walk with the Lord, we don't hear the Lord. If we don't hear the Lord... We don't know what to obey. The words on this page, when we read God's word, if we're not walking with the Lord, can just, be, can just be noise. Let's take a look at verse 10. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And we're going to learn more about these in chapters 9, 10, and 11. And we're going to see which one of the sons that the, the offspring of the woman continues through. Verses 11 and 12, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. He basically said the same thing in some earlier verses, and he's saying it again, just to contrast Noah, and Noah's walking in righteousness, and the rest of the world walking in sin. That they were corrupt, they were violent, and God wasn't going to stand it anymore. You know, I'm going to take us through verse 22. I wasn't sure where we were going to go. And we'll just, we'll just trust the Lord with it. And then in verse 13, the God, and God said to Noah, I've determined to make an end of all flesh. For the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an an ark of gopher wood. Does anybody know what gopher wood is? I don't either. I'm just wondering if somebody doesn't go for what it is. I do want to know. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark is 300 cubits. A cubit is about a foot and a half. Its breadth, 50 cubits, and its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above and set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, in which in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. We can camp out on this covenant for a while. We're not going to do it because it's going to come at a later verse. But suffice to say, it's a promise. And we're not even going to be able to understand God's promises without walking with Him. Verse 19, And of every living thing of all flesh... You shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come into you to keep them alive. Can you imagine? My head is spinning. Build an ark in the desert. It's never rained, 450 foot long, 45 feet high. Three stories. By the way, gather up these birds and these animals, and Noah's got to be thinking... Okay, I'm just trusting that you're going to show me how to do it because I don't know how to lasso an ostrich. I don't know how to get an orangutan on the boat. So Noah was walked with God not just in the beginning to hear his voice, but i got to believe that he walked in intimate fellowship with the Lord for 120 years while he's building this ark and he's rallying these animals. Verse 21, Also take every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that the Lord commanded him. Noah did this and did all that the Lord commanded him. He didn't ask any questions. How many times in my life has the Lord asked me to do something? When he asked me to leave Smith Barney, after 20 years, we had a Jacob moment. I mean, we were we were wrestling. I did not understand why he would have me leave a career like that. Noah didn't ask any questions. In our lives, there's all kinds of things that the Lord has asked us to do. Ladies, the Lord has asked you to love your husbands. And he'll give you the strength to do that. Walk with him. The strength comes from abiding, as it says in John 5. Where does Noah's story of walking with God intersect your life? My guess is that Noah didn't have dreams of building an ark someday. He didn't have dreams of herding up animals someday. My guess is that whatever Noah's dreams and hopes were when he was younger, 350 years old, that the Lord had something different for him. And he didn't ask any questions. I don't think Noah would have signed up for it. Are there things in your life that you didn't sign up for, but the Lord put you there? If you're a Christian and you're living the complacent American life, you're missing God's best for you and your family. The abundant Christian life is found in complete surrender. Complete surrender. You know, we went to... uh, a presentation at Doyle and Carroll's house the other night from a delightful young lady that's in Afghanistan or getting ready to go to Afghanistan, and I asked her the question: "Is there a, what's the contrast between Christians in I'm not going to be able to pronounce the first country?" Yes, in Afghanistan, and she said, "You know, there is, but there isn't." She says Christians are just as complacent there as they are here, although I think in areas of persecution if I would have pushed her on a little bit further she hasn't spent that much time in Afghanistan I think that when people come to Christ in those countries, Iran, Iraq there's a cost there's a cost and one of the challenges that we have in America is, is, is living in this great country is that there's not much of a cost is there where's the cost God doesn't tell us we can't have high-paying jobs. He doesn't tell us we can't have second homes. He doesn't tell us we can't have new cars. He doesn't tell us we can't have great vacations. He wants us to enjoy the fruits of this great country that He's plopped us in. The problem is, is that we walk through life like this. And the surrendered life that He's called us to, is to walk with Him like this, enjoying whatever blessings He's brought to us. Whether it be our children, whether that be our spouses, whether it be our bank account, our retirement account. The surrendered life looks like this, and I believe this is the way that Noah walked. Noah did not dream. He did not sign up to build the ark in the desert for 120 years. I love what Paul says in Philippians 3 verses 7 through 10. He says, but whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Paul had the world by the tail. He had everything. He had wealth. He had prestige. He had education. And he says that he counts it all as loss for the sake of following Jesus his Lord. He goes on to say, For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God that depends on faith. Now, everybody is not called to a life that Paul is called to. Paul gave it all up. But we're all called to the same heart that Paul has. And that heart is one walking through life like this. You guys have got to forgive me because you know that that I'm passionate and I'm an exhorter. So I'm just going to continue. I don't have anybody in mind. If I'm just praying that the Lord, if there's something here for you that the Lord would, would convict you. As he's convicted me. If you're not sure what it looks like to consider everything as lost for the sake of Christ, what? Walk with God. If you don't know what it looks like to hold things like this, walk with God. You're not spending enough time with the Lord. We can get to know somebody through a letter, can't we? Some of you are letter writers. And many of you have received a letter from my wife because my wife is a letter and a note writer. That's what she does. I like reading autobiographies. And I can get to know dead people really well through autobiographies. But it's not the same as sitting face to face. If Andrew were to write me a letter, I'm going to get to know his heart a little bit. But it's not until I walk with him through life, and we walked through trials and joys and successes together, do I really know Andrew. And it's the same with God. That we can, this is essential. I don't want anybody not to hear me on this. This is essential. This is foundational. This is a gift. This is a gift. But if we read this in the morning, token read it, and go march off out to our TV dinner lives and not walk with the Lord, we're not going to have the intimacy to be able to say no to sin, the power to say no to sin, to be able to love our spouses, to be able to be bold witnesses in the workplace. A.W. Tozer wrote in The Pursuit of God, this is a great book, the type of Christianity, this is written in 1948, the type of Christianity which happens now to be the vogue, knows this presence of God only in theory. It fails to stress the Christian's privilege of present realization. According to its teachings, that the church is teaching, we are in the presence of God positionally. How often do we say that? That God promises to never leave us nor forsake us. We're always His. That's truth. If you put your faith and trust in Him, you're always His. But nothing is said about the need to experience the presence actually, day by day. That's the abundant life. It's walking with God. Dwight L. Moody was a poorly educated, unordained shoe salesman who felt God's call to preach the gospel. So thankful for him. Early one morning, he and some friends gathered in a hayfield for prayer. His friend, Henry Varley, said these words. The world has yet to see what God can do with and for and through and in a man who is fully and wholly consecrated to him. Let me read that again. His friend said these words, The world has yet to see what God can do with and for and through and in a man who is fully and wholly consecrated or committed to the Lord. Moody later recalled the words spoken by his friend. And he realized that Varley meant any man, that this could be him. Not somewhat educated or brilliant or anything else, just a man. Moody determined to be that man. He sought to be fully and wholly committed to Christ, and God did extraordinary things through him. Moody became one of the great evangelists of modern times. He founded a Bible college, and he planted Moody Church in Chicago, which is still there. And all this was was from a man that said, Lord, I want to be your man. I want to be fully consecrated with you. And my guess is, is that Moody, what? He walked with God. He walked with God. Some of you are there. Some of you are there. You're walking with God in every aspect of your life. There's others of you that you've you've let your first love go go cold. Yeah, you still love Jesus, but your life may not reflect it. Can I just give you a couple suggestions? Start with 15 minutes a day. Don't don't exasperate yourself saying you know what I'm gonna I'm gonna start fasting and, and praying for six hours every day. 15 minutes a day, and I want to give you a couple passages to read in those 15 minutes. Start with Psalm 51. David's first love had gone cold. He had had horrible sins, and the Lord was drawing him back in. And this is what this is what David prayed. Psalm 51, verses 10 through 12. Many of you heard this verse from my lips many times before because it's the Lord's used it in my life. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation and uphold me with a willing heart. If your first love has gone cold and you're not walking with the Lord, ask the Lord to renew the joy of your salvation and to give you a willing heart. Second verse to consider. It's in Joshua. My wife has this one in the mirror in our bathroom. And it's a time when Joshua, one of the many times where Joshua was fearful. It's Joshua 5.14. It says, Joshua fell on his face to the earth picture this. He fell on his face to the earth and it says he worshipped. And he said and Joshua said this to God. And what does my Lord say to his servant? What does my Lord say to his servant? Are you afraid of the answer? I am sometimes. God what do you have for me? What do you have for me today? Lord speak Bend me any way you want to spend me today. What's holding you back, folks? If you're here today without Christ, if you have not yet bent your knee, I want to tell you, you, you can't walk with the Lord. You can't hear the Lord. You're not capable of obeying. But the Lord is there waiting with open arms. He is strong to save. And once you've put your faith and trust in Him, and He's taken your sin upon Himself and clothed you with His righteousness, you've now got the power to obey. He gives you the desire to walk. He gives you peace and joy. You know, at times, this Christian walk is tough, isn't it? But can you imagine life without hope? This hope that we have in Christ? Can you imagine a church in northern Colorado that is committed to walking with the Lord? That we are bold with the gospel? That we are seeking the Lord and walking with the Lord at every turn in fear, in trials, in successes? And that we're lifting one another's arms up? Can you imagine a church that is fully consecrated to God? Lord, we uh, <laughs> I just thank You for Your Word. Holy Spirit, I thank You for Your ever-present help in time of need. I thank You that You are not satisfied, God, with just our knowledge of You. That You want us to really know You and walk with You. And that You're there all the time. It's, it's us that walk away. And, Lord, I just pray for transformation in my own life, God, in the lives of these dear brothers and sisters. And, Holy Spirit, if there's, if there's something here for for each of us, I just pray that, Lord, that you would just take it. And, God, that you would just change us from the inside out. We thank you for the life of Noah. We thank you for just the truth that uh, that he was clothed in your righteousness. And, Lord Jesus, that you took his sin upon yourself like you've taken our sin upon yourself. Thank you for the strength that you gave him to to build that boat in the midst of ridicule, in the midst of, I'm sure, hard trials. And God, we just thank you for uh, just your uh, loving us and your calling us to yourself. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.